invite you to stand again with me this morning for the scripture reading. We have two. One is from 1 Timothy, a letter Paul wrote to Timothy, who he was teaching and guiding and how to lead a church. And then the second one will be the letter that John wrote to the churches in the book of Revelation. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in inapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And then from Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 7. And he, that's Jesus, said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophet, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. As I I pray this morning, Lord, we have heard your word. May your spirit open our hearts and minds and ears to hear what you are saying to your church today. Amen. So last fall, 2022, in September, Queen Elizabeth died. Maybe you remember this. It seems sort of like a million years ago at this point. She had reigned from 1952. So she reigned for 70 years, and obviously I'm American, But the queen even influenced my own American family, and not just because my mother has British ancestry. So during dinner time, if I or one of my three siblings had bad table manners, my mother would say, would you act like that in front of the queen of England? And I'd straighten up and have good behavior, but in my mind, I was all sassy. I was like, she'd never visit us. And I was right. She never visited Gainesville, Georgia, or Highland, Indiana. But still, the queen had a great legacy, and she was deeply loved. Some of my friends have met her, and they speak with deep reverence and respect and honor about her character. And by those those who knew her, they knew that she was a faithful Christian. And every Christmas, when she would do her Christmas message on television, she would affirm her faith in Jesus Christ. The day after Queen Elizabeth died last fall, the Daily Podcast did a story about her reign, and it began 
with an interview that has stuck in my heart since then. So I'm going to play it for you. Well, Jack is going to play it for you. A journalist a was... I'm collecting um, reactions to the Queen's death. She died. Yeah. No, I'm not lying. Like, three hours ago? Yeah. No. She's dead. This is not good. I'm joking. What? What? Are you sure she died? Yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm a reporter. From where? New York Times. That's really sad. It's really sad because I'll, I'll pray to her every morning. Every morning. Every morning I pray to her majesty. Look what I'm here. Every morning I pray to her and wish I wish her to live forever. Why do you pray to the queen every morning? Because I love her. Love her majesty. Love her so much. Can I ask, what does she represent to you? Everything. She, she's divine to me. You see, I don't believe in God. I believe in her majesty, the queen. I hope you heard the longing and the love in his voice. I pray to her every morning, every morning, every morning. I pray to her majesty, the queen, every morning. I pray to her, and I want her to live forever. I love her majesty so much. She's divine to me. See, I don't believe in God, but I believe in her majesty, the queen. The book of Ecclesiastes tell us that God has set eternity in people's hearts. And I think this interview is a little indication of that. And I, I don't want to make fun of this man or his inclination and desire to worship someone good. He's really longing for a leader to trust, a leader who is benevolent, a leader who cares, and a leader who will live forever. And I think this longing for a good ruler, a good leader, is, is nothing new for humanity. It's, it's not unique to this man. We see this longing reflected in scripture as well. There's a story in the book of 1 Samuel, verses 4 through 22, and in which the Israelite leaders look around at the tribes around them, and they notice a difference between themselves and those tribes. And it's this, those tribes have kings, and they don't have a king. So together they go to the prophet Samuel to insist on a change. And I'm going to read you this story from 1 Samuel. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us, then, a king to govern us, like other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also are they doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel 
reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to weep his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And on that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like the other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. And so Samuel does. King Saul, first, if you don't know the story here, the, the cliff notes are that that turns out badly. And the next was King David, known as the best king. But if you read the whole story, you might start to have some questions about it. And his end is real sad. He dies in the midst of a family squabble, and his last words are graceless and harsh and it's really a pitiful ending for one who had been so brave. And, and then David's son, Solomon, lots of glory and wisdom for a moment. And then it crashes and burns amidst a coterie of women and idolatry. Because human kings fail. And they also take a lot, if you heard that chapter there. They do all the things Samuel warned of, taking and taking and taking and abusing power. And even when a king or queen is good, they still die. But still we long for a divine person uh, uh, while rejecting the true king. Did you hear the hurt in God's voice? They have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt. God is so sad here. And this is a huge storyline in scripture. God is king, but humans reject his kingship. They reject God as kings. And we look for other kings and queens, and sometimes they're good people, like Queen Elizabeth, or they're political figures, or entrepreneurs, or billionaires, or inventors. And there's a lot of hope now, right, that Elon Musk will change the world. As I was thinking about this, I went through the list of Time Magazine People of the Year since 1927. Um, it's an interesting list. You can look through it. Uh, every president is automatically Person of the Year, and then every time there's a new pope, Person of the Year. But but then there's these other leaders, too. Like in 1937, the man of the year was Adolf Hitler. 
and in 38, it was Joseph Stalin, and in 79, it was Ayatollah Khomeini, and in 2007, it was Vladimir Putin. The men of the year can disappoint. We look for future hope in our leaders, and we put up political signs every cycle. Hope, change, greatness. This time, it'll be different. Give us a king like everyone else. But my friends, part of our hope in the gospel and for followers of Jesus is, is not just that Jesus is our savior. It's not just that Jesus is our sanctifier, the one who makes us holy. It's not just that Jesus heals us as the great physician. Jesus is our coming king. You know, Jesus has already been crowned. His first crown wasn't gold. It was thorns. And he wasn't raised up on a throne. He was raised up on a cross. And the announcement of his kingship wasn't heralded in big print newspapers across the world. Jesus, the sovereign and glorious king instead, his announcement was meant to be a joke. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, placed on the top of the cross by Pilate. My paraphrase of that is, Jesus from the podunk town no one's ever heard of that doesn't matter, king of a messed up group of overly religious and zealous people who don't participate in the Roman nationalistic religion, who follow an old-fashioned sexual ethic, and who believe God speaks through a book. Here's your king. But rather than Jesus' death ending his rule, just like Queen Elizabeth's death ended her rule, Jesus' death was the path to his resurrection from the dead, from which God enthroned him above all things. We read in Ephesians 1, 20 through 21, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And this is Jesus, our King of Kings. You, you know, we celebrate this every year on Ascension Day, which is on a Thursday night, but it's as important a day as Christmas and Easter, so you can put it on your calendar now. <laughs> but on that first Ascension Day, with the disciples watching, Jesus was lifted up into the heavenly realm. And they stand there, like, looking up, waiting. And, and then two men, scripture says, probably angels, just come out of nowhere and speak to them. And they say, this Jesus, who has been taken up into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way as you saw him go. Which is to say, the story isn't over. King Jesus is coming back the return of the king, and this is reason to hope. Jesus is coming back. This is part of theology that we call eschatology, study of the last things, which I'm like, it's not really last, right? There's more after it. It's like a chapter that leads to a new story. 
Now, if you're a theology nerd, you'll know a lot of ink has been spilled about eschatology. Denominations have split and been formed about eschatology and certain views of the end times. And there are a lot of fancy words like dispensationalism, premillennialism, and the rapture, and they get used in these conversations. I, I do want to note none of those are biblical words. But it's really easy for some people to get caught up in the drama of timelines, like what's going to happen first, and, and what are the signs, and then what's going to happen, and then, and then. And they get really caught into this. But you know what I've noticed is that this doesn't help people get closer to Jesus. You know, don't learn your eschatology from fiction. Don't go down that rabbit hole. It's not going to lead to a better relationship with Christ and the church because this is what we affirm. Jesus is coming back. We say this when we say the Apostles' Creed. He ascended into heaven. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And, and Jesus himself in the book of Revelation says, Behold, I am coming soon. Now, maybe you have questions about that because you know that Revelation was written almost 2,000 years ago. And, and so what does Jesus mean? What is he talking about when he says soon? Like, what is soon? C.S. Lewis plays with this a little bit in his children's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's a dialogue between the Jesus character, Aslan, and the young girl, Lucy. And Aslan begins, he says, don't look sad. We shall meet again soon. And Lucy says, please, Aslan, what do you call soon? I call all time soon, says Aslan. And instantly he was vanished away. Jesus is coming back soon, which is, could be all times. And I think because of this, each generation of Christians after Christ has thought that Jesus was going to come back during their life. We wonder, why hasn't Jesus come back? I mean, can you imagine Christians undergoing persecution, undergoing suffering and struggle at this very moment, or other times in history, I was imagining Christians held in Nazi concentration camp in the 40s, going out and, and looking at the sky and maybe seeing the sun come out from behind the clouds and the rays come down and thinking like, how long, O oh Lord? Is today the day? But actually, scripture tells us why soon to Jesus does not seem like soon to us. In 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, Jesus' friend Peter writes, But do not, do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I think that the length of time we wait for Jesus is a demonstration of God's patience and kindness to us. And this, too, is for the sake of our salvation. And so there it is. Jesus is king, and this king is coming back soon. He will return, as the angels told the disciples, in the sky the same way he departed. And I know some of us who are analytical can be like, yes, but what we see in the sky here in Illinois is different from what they see on the other side of the world. Have you ever thought about that? 
Um, obviously, I think that this is metaphorical language. We don't know the day or the time or the process of Jesus' return. We don't know how it's going to work. I don't know if our imaginations could handle it. But I think we can trust Jesus' word. He is coming back. So one of my favorite plays is Samuel Beckett's 1954 play, Waiting for Godot. It's, it's like a high literary play. So in it, there are these two characters, Didi and Gogo, and they are waiting together for another character, Gatto, to show up. And this is the plot of the play, Gatto never shows up. And it can kind of sound boring, right? Two guys just waiting, but it's not boring in good productions. And so really the play is about what they think and, and do and talk about and experience while they wait. And this was written in the wake of World War II when a lot of people were recognizing how horrible um, and, and awful enlightened people and technology can be. But ultimately, I really think this is a hopeful play because these guys just keep waiting. Even though he doesn't show up, at the end, Didi says, well, shall we go? And, and Gogo says, yes, let's go. And then the stage directions say, they do not move. They stand there, waiting, curtain. But you know what? We are not waiting for Godot. We are waiting for Jesus, a person that we can know now through the Holy Spirit, a person who we can read about through eyewitness biographies. We can learn from Jesus' teaching now. We can watch his gracious character, and we can experience relationship with him now through the Holy Spirit. And, and this is experiential, and I, I can't prove this with hard evidence, but experience is something. Jesus has spoken to me. Jesus has spoken individually to me, joy, through, through veils of depression and despair and anxiety. These are some of the things Jesus has said to me. He said, can you trust me, Joy? He's real gentle. Can you trust me? Joy, you, you trusted those little girls. Can you trust me, the creator of the universe? Jesus has said, Joy, I'll show you what's beautiful. Jesus has said, don't go. I want you to stay, Joy. I want you to stay. And that's how the king speaks to me. I do pray to this king every morning, every morning, every morning. And I, I do believe he is divine. I believe in God. I believe Jesus is our God and king. Jesus is our coming king. And so what does that mean for us today? Here, 2023, the corner of 4th and Garfield. You know, I thought about it. I actually don't think our application today is much different than the centuries of Christians who have gone before us. So here's some things to think about in light of this truth today. First, put your hope in Jesus' reign, not in human rulers. It's not an election year, but I notice this. Every election cycle, people say things like, this is the most important election in history. And then they, they put up signs. Like, do signs change people's mind? And then they tithe to campaigns and post ridiculous stuff on social media and then maybe get an ulcer. But I think this is hoping in human leaders. 
And, and human leaders, unless they're Jesus, they will fail. Psalm 146 reminds us, do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Don't trust them. I'm not saying don't be involved. I think we're called to pray for leaders, and Scripture teaches that government is ordained by God, but care less for them and more for King Jesus, because they will die even if they're good, like Queen Elizabeth. They will disappoint, they will fail, but Jesus won't, at least not ultimately. I mean, long-term, we see God keeping promises throughout scripture. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, have hope. Second, anticipate the return of the king. Live as though Jesus is going to return soon. Jesus is coming back, and that Return will herald the resurrection of the dead and the judgment. As Paul wrote to Timothy, be ready. But as for you, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. So are we living in obedience, ready for Jesus to return? As we wait, is our character being formed into the character of Christ? My grandma had this quote, live as though Jesus is coming back today, but plan as though Jesus is not coming back for a thousand years. I think that's very wise, and it leads to the third point. Wait with wisdom. Anticipation of Jesus' return does not mean that we can be apathetic about stewardship of finances or the planet. I've known personally of households and Christian institutions that because they were so convinced that soon meant the day after yesterday, they could take out substantial debt and didn't steward their finances. Or others might think this is no reason to care for creation, but God created us to be stewards of the world. God gave us the gifts of finances and the earth to do good, to bless others, to bless future generations. And so even as we anticipate Jesus' return, we must live with wisdom. And then finally, practice worshiping King Jesus now. Paul writes in Philippians that when Jesus returns, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Be ready to worship Christ. You know, I think part of our gathering each Sunday is actually to practice for the great day when Jesus will return. Are you ready for the coming King? Are you ready? I invite you to practice getting ready today. We are going to stand together and sing several hymns. I invite Ruth back. We'll be singing hymns number 264, Crown Him with Many Crowns, King Jesus, and then 750, Soon and Very Soon. Let us worship our King.